Hello everyone and welcome to another update from For the Region. I'm delighted today to be talking to Dr. Ben Reynolds from the Urban Foundry and he's here to talk a little bit about um, how Urban Foundry have been adapting and evolving during this COVID-19 crisis and also to tell us a little bit about a project that Urban Foundry are just launching which is the South Wales Food and Drink website. Um, which is designed to support regional food producers. So uh, thanks, Ben, for uh, agreeing to have this chat with us today. Uh, how are you getting on? We're doing all right. Like most small businesses, it was, uh, it was a bit of a sh shock to the system, to say the least, to, to try and adjust to it. And our, our markets project obviously had to stop pretty much overnight when, they, when the lockdown started and everybody had to stay indoors. So it needed a lot of uh, frantic readjustment, but we're pleased to say that we were, uh, we're surviving through it and, and doing okay and uh, rapidly reinventing a few things, carrying on with some of the others as they were, um, albeit with working from home and all the things that everybody else is doing, but we're, uh, we're, we're, we're proving reasonably resilient, I'm glad to say. Oh, yeah, I'm glad to hear that. So uh, in normal life, uh, you guys run a whole series of local produce markets uh, right across uh, Swansea and South Wales um, and so obviously those markets can't run at the moment so how how have your uh, traders been responding in this crisis and, and how do you think um, they can survive when they can't trade at markets in the way they normally would what's happening in that sector so so that was pretty much our first uh, first port of call really when this um, you know this all kicked off in, in the middle of March was to, to straight away look for the the small organizations that we worked with particularly the small food and drink producers uh, for whom there was continued demand but uh, you know, many of whom relied on uh, markets and, and, and said places similar to markets as their point of sale and so that rapidly disappeared. The last one we ran was Mumbles in March, uh, which at which point it was looking pretty evident that it was a case of when rather than if we were all going to go into lockdown. Uh, and, you know, traders have been going for 30, 40 years, you know, in, on the verge of tears and kind of seeing their livelihoods potentially being wiped out, especially after a really awful winter where their, 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 their trade had dropped anyway, very significantly. I mean, they always planned for it to drop in the winter, but this winter was particularly bad. Um, and so our immediate priority really was just kind of how, you know, it was a bit like being on a plane, get your own oxygen mask on first. So we made sure that we could survive. Uh, and then straight away it was on to how do we keep those traders going? So the first thing was just promoting everybody we could promote. We produced a business support diagram, which we circulated, which was actually for everybody, but was particularly with a lot of those small producers in mind. Uh, in terms of, you know, how do you survive? Where can you get help? Uh, as the government was announcing the various different bits and pieces of support, you're finding particularly organisations that were very small, that didn't have, maybe have a finance department. The finance department's the same person as the marketing department, as the same person who answers the phone, who digs up the veg, who sells on the thing and makes the tea. Um, so uh, they, people were getting a bit lost. So we produced a kind of flow chart diagram to try and make that easy, which was really popular and lots of people responded well to. Uh, we pr promoted everybody that we possibly could, gave advice to as many as we possibly could in terms of, uh, you know, all pro bono by that point. It was just a case of let's just, it all became about survival. It wasn't about business. It was just about kind of just trying to keep everybody going in a community. And then we moved on from that then to uh, what, what you mentioned before, which was to, to try and create a website, which was uh, one of the early lovely things that happened was the local area coordinators, uh, the local authority in Swansea and some other local authorities 
started collating these lists of um, you know traders community councils did the same so people who could supply food they weren't necessarily market traders they were you know some of them were small cafes that had maybe repurposed themselves to do takeaways or whatever else it might be but what what started out was was a lovely idea but what quickly happened with it was that traders were coming back to us and saying well, it's great it's lovely but actually in order for me to be viable i need to trade in multiple areas i can't just trade in uplands or in in, in morriston or in Halford west or whatever it is for, for me to be viable i need to go quite a large area which means i've got to keep seven different lists updated with current information i'm relying on a third party to update that list for me and on top of that, the lists weren't searchable. Um, you know, they weren't they weren't very easy to access. And that's no no criticism of the people who put them together. It was it was all born of a really good desire just to try and keep people supplied with food, especially in those first early few weeks before the supermarket supply chains caught up, where we we did have two weeks of well, three was it where you know we you would go and there wasn't really any meat or veg on the shelves, plenty of tins and various other things. And so lots of people very quickly started discovering um, you know, local producers local small food and drink suppliers and uh, so that sparked the thought of actually what can we do to try and make that process just easier basically so we, we created a website which is the southwalesfoodanddrink.com uh, which uh, was intended really just as a way of creating a, an easily searchable uh, list of, of people who were able still to provide deliveries all from a pickup point uh, specifically focused on small all uh, local food and drink producers. Uh, when, when I say local, I mean kind of south southwest Wales from sort of Bridgend across to Ceredigion, which is roughly the area that most of the traders who come to our markets come from. Uh, that's where most of the small farms and small producers are, are located. Um, and so we've produced the searchable directory. You can go on, have a look at it. It's free for anybody to, to use. It's uh, The idea was that the traders can all go on, create their own profile which means that then they can self-police their own profile. So if something changes or needs updating, they don't have to wait for someone else to do it. They can just log on with a password and just do it for themselves. You can search by produce, by where you're located, um, by uh, you know dietary requirements, if it's vegan or if you want halal or, or whatever else it might be, and it, it'll do the job of that for you. So we got that up and running last, uh, last Friday. So we did a, a soft launch of it over the weekend just to test it and make sure it all worked and ironed out a few bugs with it. And so yesterday, today, we've just started promoting it a bit more broadly now to, um, to, the, to the wider population. And um, it's really just about trying to get it out there as a means of, of people um, just, just reconnecting really with small local food and drink producers, not, not just as an immediate response to COVID, um, although that's its principal purpose first and foremost. It's also starting to think about, as we've done with our markets really, how do we you know, how do we kind of create this more circular foundational economy where more of us are buying from local small food and drink and, and, and well, actually it doesn't have to be food and drink, it could be anything, we're focusing on food and drink for now, but how do we, how do we get more people buying more regularly and more frequently as a long-term habit rather than just because the supermarket shelf happens to be empty, but actually as a long-term habit, how do we, how do we get people back into that um, that's kind of uh, the way that we all used to buy things 40, 50 years ago, um, uh, before before the rise of the, the supermarket and the hypermarket and online retailing. And you know, under no illusions that you know, that's that's going to continue. But what we want to do is just try and just try and level the playing field just a little bit to try and get some of those traders to to be able to compete in that kind of um, that marketplace where people are used to you know be able to click on a button and have something delivered to their door, um, which mm. for a small producer is really really difficult. So um, so first process is really creating this as a shop window. And what it does is create like a funnel 
and, and drives you to those individual traders who will still fulfill your order and take the money and do all the things that they do. If we can make that work at a scale that's large enough, and that's quite a big if, because that's what we're testing with this process, but if we can get enough kind of uh, trade working through it, the next step of that is to start to look at, you know, how do we progress that then? How do we move towards perhaps a kind of collated delivery option between multiple traders where perhaps one on their own can't make it work, but where we could group them together. Um, similarly, many of them have struggled to get themselves online uh, for online purchasing. So uh, our next step is really sort of how do we move them from just directing traffic to their existing websites or a phone number or whatever it might be to how do we get them into online sales, uh, you know, contactless payments and all the other things that, you know, we, we take for granted from the supermarket. Yeah, and I suppose that the challenge is to make it as easy for people to order from local suppliers as it would be to um, order from local supermarkets and try and show how easy it can be. And as you say, the more you can streamline that process, both for the producers themselves, but also for the public and for the the buyers, um, the greater hope we have of helping some of these new habits to stick after the COVID crisis is over. I mean, I saw an interesting statistic about the number of people, I don't know, I think it was 3 million more people have ordered a veg box from a local farm during lockdown for the first time. And, you know, that's brilliant. And obviously that's a response, as you were saying, to the problems that the supermarkets were having um, and general panic about food supplies. Um, but the big question is how we how we reinforce that new habit and and keep it once the crisis is over because we know that um, we need to shorten our food supply chains anyway because of the climate emergency and the decarbonisation agenda. The more we can um, have local food supply chains and support agriculture and food production in our region, the more resilient we are going forward. So, as you say, if we can build the scale around projects like this that seek to shine a light on regional producers, um, that all helps to build to more resilience for the future. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the really lovely things to have seen is sort of the, the delight that some people have sort of shown when they've discovered that you can actually get this stuff locally and also this really good quality. Um, and that, you know, sometimes it's a little bit more expensive, but actually it's not astronomically more expensive. And actually in many cases, it's the same price or occasionally cheaper. So uh, it, it's, it's been lovely to see that. And we've, we've seen that over the last six, seven years of doing our markets project. And that would have been seven years old this July in Uplands. Um, and sadly, it looks like we're not going to be able to celebrate the seventh uh, birthday in person. But um, but th that was the whole point of that sort of project, really, was that you know, first and foremost, it was a, a people and place project. But it was it was also intended to be about reconnecting people with local produce, uh, you know, local again, being sort of South Wales, Welsh, Welsh producers. Um, and has been, if we do say so ourselves, phenomenally successful. And so it had actually been on our mind anyway about, well, what's, you know, we, over the past few years, it was about growing that project and doing more markets but we were beginning already before the COVID crisis to start thinking about, well, we're probably doing enough markets now, which is not to say we wouldn't mind adding a few more, but we're starting to turn our minds already to, well, what, what next? What do we do to move beyond markets? How do we, how do we do more to kind of promote that kind of local produce? And we've been working on projects with University of Wales, Trinity St. David's over the last 18 months, two years on an interreg project, European funded project, which is partnership with Southern Ireland, um, which is, about supporting micro businesses within this food and drink sector uh, and that was really about kind of developing uh, business support identifying what the barriers are to 
very very small um you know often one man one woman bands in terms of uh, you know uh, food producers and traders and how you elevate them from perhaps that kind of you know going to do a, a market pitch once a month to there's a huge leap between that and opening in a cafe so how do we fill in the the kind of the next step between a market and, and opening up your own restaurant, your own cafe or your own food distribution business. And so we've been doing quite a lot of work on it anyway. Uh, what COVID has done, as, as with many other things, has probably accelerated a lot of that thinking, which would perhaps have been a bit more of a slow burn before. Uh, we, don't, we don't have the luxury of time now. So we've, we've had to, uh, and many others have had to rapidly change the way in which we do things from moving online to thinking of ways in which you could supply people that doesn't require them to congregate in a certain space. Um, uh, we think we probably could return at some point to some form of markets, but in the short to medium term, it's not going to be viable everywhere in places where perhaps you're geographically constrained by buildings around you or whatever, where it's going to be very hard to do social distancing. So, um, so, you know, already we're starting to think about that in terms of how do we, how do we build alternatives so that we don't lose that vitally important part of our, our, our economy and, and not just how do we not lose it, but also how do we grow it uh, and make it part of a, you know, part of a, a long-term habit that people, people have. And the response to the sector has been brilliant. I mean, there'd be some lovely responses to it from, um, you know, kind of people sort of overnight who were, you know, self-confessed Luddites, you know, learning how to get a website up and running and take contactless payments through to, the most inspired piece of marketing I've seen, which was the, uh, you know, they won't mind me giving them a plug, which was the, the ND John uh, wine merchants coming up with the idea of the, the wine bilance, you know, to keep you, you know, the fifth emergency service. So if you're out of wine, ring them up and they'll, they'll deliver to your door. So there've been some lovely inspiring ideas of, of, you know, kind of how people have responded very creatively to, and very quickly as well to, to the problems that we've had, which is not to say it hasn't been tough. It's been very, very tough for a lot of them. And sadly, some of them will probably not survive through it. But um, yeah. I mean, really for us, it's it's you know it's been survival, and now beginning to start thinking about the the next stage. Really, yeah, I think uh, it's been really inspiring, hasn't it, to see how local businesses across Southwest Wales have sort of stepped up to the plate, radically changed how they're working, and and sort of stepped forward to try and meet the needs. And obviously, we're fortunate in a way that the supermarkets did manage to sort out their supply chains, but it gave us all a glimpse of a future um, of, you know, the danger of being so dependent on food being shipped in from all around the world and all around the country. And as you say, there's some really lovely food producers on the website now, and uh, I can see a whole range of different things from bakeries to um, wines, as you say, and lovely cheeses, all sort of produced within within the region. And, and where you talk about the cost of these projects, uh, products, I think it's also worth mentioning, and I know you talk about this a lot, that actually when we spend our money in major supermarkets, it, we might think it's cheaper, um, but actually all that money just disappears straight out of the local economy. Um, Conversely, when we spend that money with local food producers, all of that money stays in the region, and that's what we call the foundational economy. And, and actually, you get so much more bang for your buck overall. Um, but it's not a it's not a simple cost comparison, is it? No, absolutely. And uh, we we are all subsidising that sort of wider process of of shipping food in from you know from through our, our subsidy of roads and transport and all the pollution that that creates through to um, you know kind of the the suppression of wages and all sorts of other things that that you know sourcing from globally can can do uh, it's not it's not about protectionism you know but bit of competition is good but it is about trying to level the playing field a little bit more so that it's actually more viable for 
the small local producers who don't have the benefit of those economies of scale or disbenefit, whichever way you want to look at it for us as a society. And just getting, as you say, more, more money circulating locally in that uh, it's not just about the pound you spend with that local producer staying that local producer, but they in turn probably are going to be sourcing most of their own supplies locally because they're small. Uh, you know, they're not going to have an international supply chain of their own when they have to go out and source something for their own business, whether it's getting a piece of agricultural machinery fixed or whatever. It's probably going to be fixed by the mechanic who's down the road. It's probably not going to be fixed by some international conglomerate. And so, again, it's not just the first stage of that spending of your pound. That pound is getting recirculated again and again and again. And the more that we can do that, then the more viable our economy is going to be and the more sustainable it's going to be, not just economically, but also socially and environmentally as well. And whilst it's, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of fun with these projects we do we always try and put a bit of fun into them you know certainly with the street markets they're, they're just lovely places to wander around and just just enjoy yourself but actually they're underpinned by actually a very hard economic regeneration social and environmental regeneration um ethos which is what ultimately what we do as a company we're, we're a creative regeneration agency ultimately and, and everything we do is really focused on how do you achieve those core outcomes of things that make people's lives a bit better, that, that are about creating uh, sustainable places and are also about building a better better economy, a better prosperity for what we do. And, and this is part of that, which is about how, you, you know, how do you recirculate money? How do you get the foundational economy going? How do we build a properly circular economy? All the time we talk about circular economies, people just think about the environmental circularity of it, which is important. You know, you know try not to be just throwing things away all the time. But it, but, but it applies just as much to economic and social aspects as well from, you know, from the events that you've run with, with before the region, you know, in the Circular Economy Club. Um, we, we need a lot more of that as part of our just day-to-day -day thinking, really, in terms of how we, you know, how do we, how do we support small local businesses of all types? You know, we're, our particular prism, because we, we, we run street markets, has been food and drink principally, also because it's classed as an essential supply. Um, but that, you know, we're also thinking about how do we expand this thinking now to things that are non-essential supplies, you know, retailers, small businesses who have many of whom at the moment have had to just, you know, become dormant whilst um, we're all on lockdown because they, that's the only way they can operate. But we're, um, we're working with Bridgend Council at the moment on starting to look at how do we, you know, how do they begin to revive their high street as the lockdown inevitably begins to ease at some point in the next few months. Um, and but, but probably footfall is going to stay suppressed. You know, even if we are allowed that again, a lot of people, if they don't have to, perhaps won't do so. And so we can't just rely on bouncing back to normal in, in, in so far as there was ever a normal. Um, so we've got to start thinking about how do we get more people online? How do we find other ways of selling? How do we do? How do we apply those sort of things about food distribution points? How do we apply that to other products and services? So. It's sort of the thin end of the wedge at the moment. The first thing was, it was almost like the band-aid. It was the sticking plaster at the moment with the, the website was really just try and drive some custom to them just to keep them going, um, to keep them surviving and, and ticking over to the point in which we can start to think about, you know, perhaps some of the more complicated stuff, which is about what does the new economy in a post-COVID world look like, even if they do find a cure at some point in a year, 18 months or whatever. It, it sort of feels like the world is is certainly going to change, um, uh, you know, whether, whether we want it to or not. And so, um, the more more in front of that we can get in terms of our thinking, the better. And this is this is just us doing our little bit to just, just you know try and try and contribute to that and start chipping away at it. Really, fantastic. Yeah, I think buying local is one way that we can all help support uh, vulnerable smaller businesses at this time. And I think it's worth the effort. Um, and just browsing through the website, such a 
great way to just discover some of the real hidden gems and lovely uh, food products that we can access just on our doorstep. So thank you so much for talking us through the project, Ben. Uh, the website URL is southwalesfoodanddrink.com. And really just to echo what Ben has said, please share the website link with your network any food producers um, that you know of and small food and drink suppliers, uh, make sure they're registered on there. And uh, hop on yourself, discover some lovely local produce and help support our regional economy at the same time. Well, uh, thank you, Ben. It's been lovely talking to you today and I'm glad to hear you're pivoting in such a positive direction for the future. And I think like us, you're, you're both hopeful but not, uh, not complacent about how much work there is to do um, to help our region recover. So thanks for talking about this project with us and uh, I'm sure we'll catch up again soon. A pleasure. Thank you very much for having me.